Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swiftcurrent, Saskatchewan. In this episode, Pastor Jay and Pastor Joe are continuing their conversation about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They will discuss what the Holy Spirit is doing today, what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to discuss spiritual gifts, and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hello, church and guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines. And Pastor Joe Sorgen. Welcoming you to another episode of the Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be looking together at chapters 62 to 66 of Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, which continues his section on the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we considered who the Holy Spirit is, both his personality or personhood and divinity. Uh, what he was up to in the Old Testament, and what he did in Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Well, now we will be considering what the Holy Spirit is doing today. And so let's start with what the Holy, uh, the New Testament teaches us about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with that doctrine. Yeah, so the, the Bible makes it very clear that upon belief in Jesus Christ, uh, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's a few verses that mention specifically this indwelling. One being in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And so uh, right there we, we see it's very clear there's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Another passage would be in the book of, uh, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 9, where we read this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so there's some very important things that are actually kind of come out of that verse alone. Uh, for one thing, it makes it clear if you're not in the flesh, that means you're in the spirit. And that means that the spirit is living in you, meaning every single Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and also shows us that uh, every single non-Christian is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so that means this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is for only believers and for all believers mm -hmm. and uh and then god's word also tells us that that indwelling is forever it's for all time uh john 14 16 would tell us this i'll read that here in a second yeah and i just say too that this passage you're going to read also reminds us of what we talked about last week that this was something new that was going to happen yes. that jesus is saying this will happen and it did happen at pentecost uh, when the church age began and he, he sent the spirit. Exactly. And so this is what Jesus says. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So there you see that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Yeah. And that in you is what this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. And I like the passage you read from 1 Corinthians 3.16 uh, compares us in the sense then of being God's temple. And I think that's so helpful because yeah. in the Old Testament, we know that God specially dwelt in the temple, right? In the Holy of Holies. Well, now in a very similar way, the Holy Spirit specially dwells in us as believers. And that is, I mean, that should just really, in a sense, blow our minds. I mean, we, we consider the, the Old Testament and this incredible privilege that Israel had that in their temple or in the tabernacle before that God was specially dwelling with them in that way. Well, now God specially dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is incredible. And that should then change the way we view ourselves and change the way we live, right? If we are God's temple, then we should be asking with uh, what we do with ourselves, with our bodies, 
particularly, um, would this be something that would be appropriate for God's temple? Mm. I think that's really helpful. And actually, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 to 20 to uh, make that very connection. In fact, in verse 18, he starts by saying, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I think that's really helpful. And, and that can be, again, a source of help in temptation, just to think, okay, this is uh, something that I am being tempted to do, let's say, with my body, and maybe sexual immorality is the example Paul gives. Well, can I imagine committing sexual immorality in the very temple of God if I was an Old Testament believer? Of course not. Well, why would I do the same with my own body? Uh, it also just gives us um, a little bit of a sense of, uh, it, it sort of elevates our, our body and our, and our life as well in the sense of, wow, if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, yes, then I, I want to treat my body as a sacred object as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good practical application about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can, every one of us can take to heart and, uh, and you know, can hopefully remember throughout our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah. Well, there's more we could say about that, but let's move on to another New Testament ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. What exactly does the New Testament teach about that? Yeah, so there's a few different places, especially in the, in the book of Ephesians, that talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians 1 verse 13, it says this, In him, being in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I love that word guarantee. I think that's really a very, a very key word to understanding what it means to be sealed. Uh, really, I think that's that's really the, the ultimate thing. You know, if you think of a, of a guarantee, you know it's something that's going to happen. It's, it's a for sure thing. And sealing is part of that. It is a for sure thing. It, sealing, of course, you know, it, it's telling us that there's a for sure thing, that there's a security, uh, almost saying like all of God's promises to us will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that is for sure. You are sealed. You're guaranteed that that's going to happen because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But there's also this aspect of ownership, I think, that mm -hmm. comes with the seal as well. Uh, and, you know, by giving us the Holy Spirit, God has basically stamped right on our foreheads. You belong to me, uh, telling you know, making it very clear. We have the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We belong to him in Christ through the Holy Spirit living in us. And I think that's really, really important to note as well. Yeah, we have a lot of ranchers around here. And, you know, you have that cattle brand. It seals that animal as belonging to you. And that's, in a sense, what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And like you said, it then leads to that guarantee and uh, I see you're in Ephesians there, but Ephesians 4.30 also tells us that this then brings security to the believer. Exactly. Yeah, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, so we've been sealed, we're secured in the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, until the day in which uh, Christ comes and we are uh, resurrected and fully experience redemption in its fullness. That seal of the Holy Spirit uh, sets us apart as God's forever. Um Another passage is 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 21 to 22, that uses the same language, where it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us 
and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's that word again. And actually, there's a little footnote in the ESV that says, or down payment. That's that idea of that guarantee. Just as you put a down payment on, on a house as a guarantee that you're going to continue to make the payments for that house. So uh, God has give, made that sort of down payment on our future inheritance in, in the final redemption through the Holy Spirit. Um, I really like the illustration that Ryrie gives uh, in his chapter on sealing. He, he connects it to registered mail, which is something that maybe we don't use as much as we used to, but I like it. He says, it's a good example of a security concept in sealing. When registering a piece of mail, it not only has to be sealed carefully, but then the post office stamps it a number of times across the edges of the seal to be able to detect any tampering with that seal. Only two people can legitimately break the seal, the recipient or the sender, if it is delivered back to him. In the case of believers, God is the sender, I love this, and God is the recipient, and God is the one who does the sealing. So only God can break the seal, and he has promised not to do so until the day of redemption. I love that. What security we have that the Holy Spirit is that seal of our redemption, which gives us incredible security as believers. Well, um, let's move on to an, another New Testament ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that's the, the baptizing ministry of the Spirit uh, that the New Testament also teaches us about. Yeah, so this actually first comes about uh, and is prophesied by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. He's talking about <clears throat> a baptism that's going to come uh, later on that's not a baptism of water, but instead he says this in Matthew 3 verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, being Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, then the question is, well, what exactly is John the Baptist talking about? What does it mean to be baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit? And there have been all sorts of debates throughout church history and that rage on today as well as far as what this means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. But I think there's one passage that gives us an awful lot of clarity as far as what uh, this means to be baptized mm -hmm. in the Holy Spirit. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 12 and 13. This is what it says here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So this is talking about all believers mm -hmm. being the body of Christ. Then it goes on and says, For in one spirit we were all, everyone in the body of Christ, all baptized into this body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Makes it very, very clear there, every single believer who is in the body of Christ has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Well, logically, that would mean, we know that if you're in the body of Christ, that means that happens at the moment of, uh, that, that you have that new life in you, and that happens at the moment of conversion. And so mm -hmm. this clearly is telling us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in us uh, at the moment of conversion. And uh, I think some of the confusion kind of comes because of some things that we read in Acts, uh, even at, at Pentecost. Uh, and it's a, it is a hard thing to kind of come to grips with what all goes on there. But there we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, take place. But we also see thousands upon thousands of people become new believers that day. And, uh, and that was a very unique thing. But at the moment, those those people became believers. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, no different than you and I were baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. Again, at the moment of conversion. Yeah, and some of the confusion in Acts 
too, of course, is that there was this transition that was happening from the old covenant to the new covenant, from the, um, you know, the, the age of Israel to the church age. And obviously the disciples were at first what we might call old covenant believers, right? They were still under the law. They were Jews, they were Israelites, and they had believed in Jesus, but they had not yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even says that, that we need to wait for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. So then for them, they needed to have this other experience much after their conversion of being baptized into the body of Christ, because the body of Christ didn't exist. The church did not exist until um, Acts 2 at Pentecost. But um, for them, that was necessary. And later on, we see, I believe it's in Acts 10 as well, um, or 12, uh, that there were some who had been baptized by John and they were also Old Testament believers, but they had not yet been baptized in the name of Christ and not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit because there was that transition. But everyone else we see who becomes new believers, they immediately at conversion would have experienced this. Some of the problem too, I think, when we talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit is that word baptism. What exactly does that mean? And really it just means to be immersed into something or some one and then identified with them. And so that's what this means. It's that at the moment of faith, the Holy Spirit immerses us uh, into Christ and into his body, right? Into the church as well, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, so that we're now identified with Christ and with his body. This is kind of a bit of a silly um, illustration, but this is the way I've always thought about it. It's like, let's say there's a pool and that pool is Jesus Christ. And uh, you're, you're standing on the edge and there's other people who are swimming in the pool, right? And they're believers in Christ and they are immersed in Christ. They're in the water and they're therefore united to Christ and they're experiencing all the blessings of Christ as they're, they're in that, that pool. And they're saying, Hey, why don't you come join us? Right. Uh, put your faith in Jesus and come, come join us. And when we say, yes, I want to join you. I want to be in Christ and experience all of those blessings by faith. It's like the Holy Spirit comes, runs up behind us and pushes us into the pool. And we're immersed now into the pool, which is Christ. But as we're immersed in Christ, we also then are immersed and connected with all the other believers who are in the pool as well. And in that sense, it's almost like an initiation into the body of Christ that we're part of his universal church. So that's just one way of thinking about this baptizing ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's move on to another one, uh, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, which also the New Testament teaches in a number of places. Yeah, so I think it's uh, it's important, first of all, to define what we mean by the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in, in the book here, Ryrie kind of defined it as gifts of grace that are given to the believer. It's a God-given ability for service. And I think we have to recognize when we're talking about spiritual gifts that this is something more than just a natural talent. Of course, our talents are, are God-given as well in the sense he created us. But this is more than just what we in our finite bodies are would be able to do. This is something that is uh, supernatural, that God has, uh, has given us, that the Spirit has given us that is a uh, gifting so that we can serve him and serve the church and serve others as well. And, uh, and so, this whole teaching of spiritual gifts, I think lots of times is either extremely overemphasized in, mm -hmm. in certain uh, church traditions or is extremely underemphasized in in others. And so we want to make sure that uh, when we talk about this, we're being biblical, we're being clear and uh, and that we're we're taking it as as the Bible says 
And uh, full disclosure, there's all sorts of different ideas when it comes to spiritual gifts as well. Uh, and for instance, Pastor Jay and I don't agree 100% uh, on certain of the spiritual gifts as far as whether they still continue to exist today or whether they were just for the, the beginning of the church and so on and so forth. But that's okay. We can put those differences, which are really quite minuscule, aside and agree that still today the Holy Spirit clearly gives gifts. And, uh, and that's such a great thing. And now there's four, four main texts that, uh, that talk about these spiritual gifts. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 11. I'll read just a few verses from there that I think are important to note. <clears throat> so it says, says this starting in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, for And then it goes on to, to list a whole bunch of what these spiritual gifts are. But there's a mm -hmm. lot to learn from just those few verses that I read, especially verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So again, we see that this is something that God has given and I think based on that, we can see to every believer, again, even 1 Peter chapter 4 makes it clear that everyone has, has a gift, every believer. And, uh, and that gift is given by the Spirit for the common good. And it's a, the special empowering that God has given through the Spirit uh, to, to each one of us. And, uh, and because it's for the common good, I think that means these gifts that we have, we should be using. And, uh, and maybe you don't know what your gift is, and that's okay. I think that's totally okay. We don't, we don't need to try to inspect what our own spiritual gift is. But if you want to figure out what it maybe is, or you want to, you know, test, you know, what, what might my spiritual gift be? How can I be involved? I would just encourage you, get involved. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the moment that, that you, you are active in ministry of some kind, uh, I'm, I'm certain that you will start to realize different areas that God has gifted you um, by His Spirit to serve. At, again, to serve him, to glorify him, and to also serve the church. And this is why he's given us these gifts. That's the very purpose of it, is to serve uh, and to to build the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I think that's extremely, extremely important. I could go on and on. This is something I, I've re read quite a bit about recently, so I don't want to just babble on forever. But uh, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, well, and just to make this connection between the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, which is our immersion into the body of Christ, well, then we're given these gifts to serve the body. Mm -hmm. And that's very clear. And that yeah. in 1 Corinthians 12, that connection is made. And also in Romans 12, uh, 3 and 6, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Then he goes on to, to give a few uh, examples. Uh, he says, uh, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his ex exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so this is meant to be done in the body of Christ. We have many members, different gifts, and we all, if we want to function well, uh, each member needs to be using their gifts and doing the work they've been given. Just like a body. If, if I want, if my body 
physical body is to be healthy and growing and doing what God made it to do. Each member, each part needs to do its its bit as it's been designed to do. And same in the body of Christ. Uh, but you mentioned this and it's so important that uh, sometimes we can think, you know, we live in a very individualistic culture and that's the air we breathe. And so we so often think about the Christian life as individuals primarily. And yet the Bible speaks about it also, and I would say even maybe more so in the corporate sense of we are a one in the body of Christ. And so we're to be thinking about all these things, not just as how does this benefit me as an individual, but how does this benefit the church? And so these gifts are meant to be used in the church for the building up of the church, not primarily for my own edification. And I think a lot of the trouble that Christians can get into with spiritual gifts is when it becomes all about me and my experience and how this benefits and blesses me. Now, of course, the gifts will benefit us, but that's not the primary purpose. Again and again, we're told it's for the body. And actually, 1 Peter 4.10 makes that is super clear, mm -hmm. uh, where it says, as each has received a gift, so we all have received gifts, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's, good stewards of God's uh, various grace. So I just want to encourage you in that. Um, you have a gift. We need it as the church. Mm -hmm. We all need to be built up together through using the gifts God has given us. So I love what Paul, what uh, Joe just said here. Um, if, if, if you're not using your gifts and you don't know what your gifts are, the first thing to do, serve one another, as Peter said. And you'll start to discover your gifts. You'll start to discover what you're good at. Other people will recognize and encourage you. And then you'll be able to grow in those gifts and serve the body of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Uh, there's no such thing biblically as a believer who's not serving his church, her church with the gifts they've been given. We all are called to do that. And we will not reach the maturity we desire as individuals unless as a body we're growing in that way. Well, so, and it's just like any other gift. You know, if you think of, uh, you know, if, if you get a Christmas gift as a kid and uh, you're like, oh, awesome. I have this gift. And then you never, ever use it. What's mm -hmm. that going to say to the person who gave it to you? Yeah. Like it, it's, it, it <clears throat> would say that you actually despise that gift or, or, or whatever. No, we're supposed to use it. In fact, uh, Paul also says to desire the gifts, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is another important thing. Not that, which I should specify, we can't like claim gifts. It's not like, oh, I really want that gift. I claim that one for my own. Mm -hmm. No, we can, we can desire the gifts. We can pray for certain giftings, but it's ultimately God through the spirit who gives those gifts. And it's for mm -hmm. mainly the purpose of glorifying him mm -hmm. and serving one another. Because yeah, if, if you're desiring a gift to make yourself look good, that like, that's just selfishness. That's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so not what the purpose of spiritual gifting is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said there, that it's not just for the uh, benefit of the church, but also ultimately for the glory of God, not our own. Mm -hmm. And Peter goes on to say that in 1 Peter yes. 4.11, yeah. right? Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Well, there's one more uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church age we want to look at now. And that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the teaching on that we see primarily in Ephesians 5 verse 18. And here Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, it's helpful to know what the filling of the Holy Spirit is based on what he compares it to. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a contrast there. Okay, well, what happens when you're drunk with wine? It means you're under the influence of alcohol. Well, that 
tells us then what the filling of the Holy Spirit is in contrast. It's being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's submitting to the Holy Spirit, yielding our lives to his control. Now, what's interesting is all the other ministries we've just talked about, they all happen um, at the moment of uh, salvation. We're given these things. We're immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and we receive uh, gifts from the Holy Spirit. And we don't do anything. That Those are just all given to us by grace. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is different. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time um, ministry the Holy Spirit gives us by grace. It's something that is uh, needs to be repeatedly done. We need to be repeatedly filled. And notice it's a command. He doesn't mm -hmm. say the Holy Spirit did this or does this. It says you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means there's a condition. And again, that condition is yielding to the Holy Spirit's control so that we come more and more under his influence. And uh, one little illustration of that is uh, with a sponge, right? If you're holding a sponge tightly and you submerge it in water, if you want that holy that sponge to be filled with the water, what do you have to do? You have to let go. You have to yield it to the water, give it complete control so that the sponge can be completely filled with water. And that's the same with our own lives. There's areas in our lives that in the flesh we can um, not want to give up control to to the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe it's finances. No, this part of my life, I want to hold on to. I want to do this in my own strength and I want to do it my own way. Uh, maybe it is, you know, we talked about this before, but maybe it is our um, sexual life. It's like, no, this is one area where I still want to do what I want to do and I want to have control. Or, you know, sexual temptation. Um, I, I want to try to overcome it by my own strength rather than yielding and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to take control of this area of my life because only you can bring about the change and the victory over temptation I need. And so that's essentially what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as someone said, this is something we need to do repeatedly. And actually we see that here and be filled just in the Greek grammar that it's a repeated thing. Because as someone had said before, I think it was D.L. Moody who first said it, we leak. Right. We can easily start to, even though we may give control over um, areas of our life to the Holy Spirit, we can slowly and subtly start to clench our fists and gain control again and say, no, I want to do this in my own strength. No, I want to have control over this. And so daily we need to say, Holy Spirit, fill me, take control of all these different areas of my life so you can do your good work in me. And this, I think this is really tied in as well with walking by the Spirit, yep. this filling of the Spirit. Like when, <clears throat> when you're walking by the Spirit, which would be, again, submitting to the, the Spirit, uh, walking in obedience to the Spirit, you are going to be filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and and like it says in Galatians 5, but, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so when we're filled by the Spirit, when we're walking by the Spirit, those, again, those temptations, those things that, you know, in our flesh we so want to do, Sometimes it's like, no, we don't have to do that anymore because we have been filled by the Spirit. He's in control mm -hmm. uh, and, and he has that influence in our lives. And because of that influence, then we end up uh, doing what it goes on to say in mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 5, which I think is very important. Right after it says, be filled with the Spirit uh, in, in verse 18, it goes on and says, uh, so it's basically saying, be filled with the Spirit, and as a result, you will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God 
the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think that's that's hugely important. Mm. All these things come out of uh, being filled by the Spirit. Not only do we not gratify the desires of the flesh, that's the negative, the positive are these things. We walk uh, in <clears throat> worship of, of Jesus, in, in praise, in thankfulness, and ultimately in submission to Christ, but also even to one another as believers. That all comes as a result of being filled by the Spirit. Yeah, and then everything else that comes too, when he talks about how wives and husbands are to have mm -hmm. a, a godly relationship, how children and parents, and on we go. And I think that's significant too, because often people think, um, oh, you know, I've heard this before. I went to this church and wow, it was just, the people were so filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, everybody was really enthusiastic and having a real emotional experience. And that might be fine, but that has nothing to do with being filled with the Spirit. That's that's not what we see here. If you want to know if someone's actually filled with the Spirit, yes, are they uh, singing, but are they addressing one another, it says, and making joy, uh, a singing to the Lord with the heart? Are they giving thanks in everything, right? Um, are they submitting? Is their life marked by submission to God and to others? And more importantly, too, if you want to know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, well, then Paul goes on to say, look at their marriage. That's how you know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, not by their enthusiasm or by their emotional experiences. It's wives, are you submitting to your husbands and respecting them? Husbands, are you loving your wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church? Children, are you filled with the Spirit? Well, are you obeying your parents? Parents, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, are you bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? That's how we know if someone's filled with the Spirit. And actually, Colossians 3, which is a parallel, uh, um, Paul says also that we seem to make this connection here, that it also involves being filled with Scripture. Are you a Bible uh, Christian? Are you saturated with Scripture? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing another in all wisdom. That's another mark of being filled with the Spirit. And that's how we can know if we are. Well, I think that's where we'll, we'll end today. We could go on and on. This is fun stuff to talk about. But uh, join us next time. We'll be discussing chapters 67 to 68 in the book, which will look a little bit more into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. Adios. So long.